last topic is an overview of cancer care and we've got two local speakers who are going to come and speak to us today about the local services and local advances in this area. Um, we've got a presentation by Dr Sania Ward who's a GP in Dorset. She also works as the clinical lead for the Dorset Cancer Partnership and the Wessex Cancer Alliance and following that we've got a presentation by Dr Jane McLeod who's a Hampshire GP and the lead GP in, um, for the Wessex Cancer Alliance for Hampshire and then we'll have questions and answers to follow. So thank you very much Sania for joining us. I know you've been busy, you've already been on a meeting this morning so we're very appreciative and um, look forward to what you've got to say. Great, thanks Camilla. I'm just going to share my presentation. So it's a presentation sort of split in two halves. I'm going to talk about a few topics first and then uh, Jane will come in and cover some topics as well. Okay, so as uh, Camilla said, I'm a, a GP, I work in Dorset and I work for the Dorset Cancer Partnership and a GP for the Wessex Cancer Alliance. Uh, so the Wessex Cancer Alliance geography being Dorset, Hampshire and the Isle of Wight. Barney, I don't know if you want to start your presentation because it's just got the slides to one side. Ah, one moment. Is that better? That's perfect, thank you. Great, okay. So we've been asked to do um, a sort of bit of a, a presentation um, around updates in cancer referrals. Um, so just to give a bit of context really uh, to where we're coming from. Of course at the moment, um, and I'm talking pre-COVID, but also currently as well, uh, there's been a huge drive to improve the early detection of cancer across England and the UK, um, but to bring our survival figures more in line with comparable countries. So it was a key aim of the NHS long-term plan published last year, uh, was that 75% of cancers um, to be diagnosed at stage one and two by 2029. So the current figures, I pulled the current figure for where we're at in Dorset and then the England figure. So we've got some work to do in terms of improving our early detection and diagnosis of cancers. And then it's hoped uh, when they did the modelling that if we're able to diagnose more cancers at stage one and two, that could equate to 55,000 more people surviving their cancers at five years across England. Obviously, this is going to require a huge collaborative effort um, right from sort of the beginning stages from the public education. So people recognising the early signs and symptoms that they need to report through to uh, the work and effort of primary care, uh, pathways in secondary care, so having capacity and getting people in quickly enough to be diagnosed, and also obviously incorporating our screening programmes, which are really our best hope, particularly for diagnosing some of the stage one very early cancers that, that can be pre-symptomatic. So the, the primary, with the establishment of primary care networks, the, the DARES and also the COF for primary care this year were developed to really try and support this goal and support primary care in their role in working towards this. So the, the, the DARES specification, part, part of that is uh, the ask of primary care networks to really look at the, the quality and of their two week wait referrals to make sure that they're referring in line with NG12, 
to safety net patients appropriately, either those that have been referred to make sure that they are picked up, seen and, and diagnosed, or ones that we decide not to refer at that point, that they're given an adequate safety net and know when to come back. And also so that patients are provided with really good quality information about the process of their referral. Um, obviously, we're now five years on from the NG12 guidance, um, which the, the key part of that was to guide us to lower our threshold at which we'd consider doing a cancer or a fast track referral. And in the guidance, it talks about this positive predictive value or conversion rate of between three and five percent meaning that if we were to absolutely follow that guidance to the letter we could expect that between three and five percent of the patients we referred up would get a cancer diagnosis and that obviously was a, a sort of sort of change in mindset really in primary care from the almost um, sort of pride you'd have in your referrals of i know the ones that i send up they're the ones that have cancer i know i'm spotting them correctly actually to um kind of lowering that threshold so significantly that actually our mindset these days should be more that mm, I think there's a three to five percent chance this patient may have cancer um, so I will follow the guidelines and I will refer them as a fast track. Um, so obviously uh, across the Wessex Cancer Alliance patch we have the, 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 the universal but the two-week wait referral forms that hopefully we're all sort of used to making our cancer referrals on those forms and they were reviewed uh, back in 2019 uh, to check that they are sort of compliant uh, and in line with NG12 but also to reflect the fact that a lot of these cancer referral pathways are now what we call straight to test. So um, obviously we, we were starting to refer up much larger numbers of patients and the sort of old and this is talking pre-COVID because COVID has changed things again but the old sort of model of I'll refer them up they'll go and have a chat with a consultant in outpatients and then the consultant will order some tests and then the tests will happen and it will take several weeks for the test to come back that sort of model um it doesn't work so well with such large numbers so many patients based on the information we're providing in primary care will go straight into having a, an appropriate diagnostic test in the hospital looking for cancer yes or no um, and then their onward management guided from that uh, so I just uh, wanted to for a bit of further context share this CRUK diagram um, with you. So this uh, illustrates how it's hoped we'll be able to meet that aim of 75% of diagnoses at stage one and two. And these sort of yellow highlighted areas are areas where perhaps primary care has more of a role. Um, so this talks about targeted lung screening and health checks. There was a recent LMC webinar about the lung health checks and I'm going to pick up a little bit of that as well when I talk about lung cancer in a moment. Um, a key part as we said is optimising screening so again part of the ask of primary care um, currently through the DARES and through the QOF is to really identify groups that aren't good at uh, uptaking their, their screening invitations and work with public health and work with those communities to try and optimise the uptake of the screening programmes. There's the, the bit in the middle there, so the cancer referral guidelines compliance. Uh, so as we said, working and using um, NG12 and Jane I know later is going to talk about some clinical tools to help us make sure that we are using those guidelines in the right way. 
Um, and then that the final bit highlighted um, supporting timely presentation by the public. So possibly part of what we do in primary care, but also part of a much wider probably programme of public education. Uh, and just one more slide from CRUK. So they modelled the impact of stage shift on mortality. Um, so what you can see there is it shows the tumour sites, which um, if you're able to bring the stage shifted, so earlier stage at diagnosis, which have the biggest impact on survival. So you'll see in the far side there, it's, it's colorectal, it's prostate and it's lung um, and, and then breast. So we're going to pick up on some of those themes as we talk through things this morning. So I just wanted to start off with a bit about FIT and the colorectal pathway. Um, so FIT, Fecal Immunochemical Testing, um, is, is a new test which was brought out to replace the old FOB, so the Fecal Occult Blood Tests, and it looks specifically for the presence of human haemoglobin in the stool. And it's been rolled out across primary care in the Wessex Cancer Alliance area. Um, and we believe that all practices in Dorset, Hampshire and the Isle of Wight should be able to request this as a test from primary care. In Dorset, we've have had it available countywide since the start of March this year. Um, and it, just to say, it's a specific collection kit that comes in an envelope with instructions to patients. It's not a universal container and it's not a standard stool pot for this specimen. Um, and we've recently had the chance to look, uh, see the sort of first data uh, that's been collected about its use in primary care. Um, and that data actually was for use in Hampshire and Isle of Wight. And it's been very interesting as we look through that early data. There's a lot of variation um, from practice to practice uh, as to the uptake and use of this. Um, so the purpose of us sort of talking about it today is to really sort of promote it as a test and show where it potentially fits in the diagnostic pathway. So NICE produced some updated guidance to describe the group of patients that we might consider using FIT in. Um, and it's described as being um, a rule-in test to consider colorectal fast-track referral. So NICE currently says that patients who meet the two-week wait fast-track criteria that you can see on the right side of the slide there, those who are meeting the criteria, we should be getting on and making a fast-track referral for those patients. And FIT is for the low risk, but not no risk patients. So essentially those that we're clinically concerned um, may have a colorectal cancer, but they don't meet the two week wait quite specific criteria. And potentially that may be younger patients um, due to the age cutoffs of some of the criteria there. Um, and then, so that's the group that we should be considering doing a FIT test in. And if that FIT test then comes back to us and is reported as positive, that then ticks the box and qualifies those patients for a colorectal fast track referral. But it's important to say about FIT um, that it does only detect, it only looks and detects for the presence of blood in the lower GI tract. So it doesn't tell you about upper GI bleeding. Um, and there's a, as with any test, there's a false negative rate associated with it of about 8%. So obviously it's important to, to safety net um, patients, particularly if their fit is negative um, and offer them potentially further clinical review. 
So as with many things um, over the last few months with the, the pandemic and COVID, there's been some changes to how FIT has been used or potentially used. Um, so it's been realised that FIT can be also quite helpful within secondary care to triage and prioritise patients for an, particularly endoscopy, but for investigations. So you know, for periods throughout the pandemic, there's been particular pressures on endoscopy. Um, and it's, it's sort of been thought that patients with a positive FIT or a high level reading of the FIT, so indicating, you know, pretty... Uh, likely bleeding in the GI tract, those are the patients that should be prioritised within secondary care to have the most urgent of endoscopies. Um, so off the back of that, several areas around the country started to make fit mandatory to be done in primary care before a colorectal two-week wait um, referral could be done. Um, even for patients I refer to my previous slide, even for patients that already met the criteria for two-week wait and previously we'd have, you know, done some blood tests and referred them off. Um, so as a Cancer Alliance, we've sort of looked at what's been going on around the country, but also um, recognising that the NICE guidance by which really that's our sort of bread and butter in, in primary care, how we're guided for cancer referrals, the NICE guidance hasn't changed to reflect the use of FIT in that way. Um, that still is, as I said on the previous slide, the NICE guidance is if the patient meets the fast track referral criteria, we should be sending them in. So um, we've sort of adopted this position that's on the slide for fit for fast track referrals. So in primary care, we absolutely should be continuing to refer in line with NG12. If the symptoms meet the referral criteria, we refer as normal, but are encouraged not mandated, but encouraged to carry out a FIT test in primary care if that's practical. And for those patients, we're not expected to wait for the result of the FIT before referring in this context. That FIT result is used in secondary care to triage and prioritise the patients for, for um, investigation and endoscopy. That um, is contrasting with the ruling group that I spoke about previously that aren't meeting the fast track referral criteria. So then we do a fit, we look for the result coming back and if it's positive, we fast track them. So there's two slightly distinct, um, different uses of fit in that way. And then I just wanted to also mention, obviously fit in the screening, bowel screening programme. Um, so currently that is uh, for 60 to 74 year olds, although we are told to expect that that age limit um, may be lowered in, in coming months um, or, or over the course of the next year to include a younger cohort in the bowel screening programme. Anyway, the bowel screening programme is now also using FIT as a test, um, which uh, the, the positives for that um, are that it's a single sample. So patients find that much more manageable to do than the previous uh, FOB bowel screening, where they'd have to collect three samples over different days. So the, the uptake is hoped that will be much improved from patients where they only have to deal with one stool sample. Important to point out though, the threshold used for the National uh, Bowel Cancer Screening Programme is different compared with the threshold that we have in our kits in primary care. So the Bowel Cancer Screening Programme uses a cutoff to call something positive of 120 micrograms um, per gram of faeces, 
whereas the kits we use in primary care uses uh, a cutoff much lower of 10. So the sort of clinical extrapolation and relevance of that is that if a patient's had a recent negative screening fit test, but then comes to see us with concerning symptoms, there is merit in considering doing a primary care fit test at that point. So that was colorectal cancer. I'm just going to come on to say um, a little bit about lung cancer, but also, as I said in my introduction, to signpost you, if you haven't um, seen it already, uh, to the recent LMC um, webinar that was specifically looking in quite detail about lung cancer and also the lung uh, health checks or lung screening. Um, but lung cancer, so really big clinical priority pre-COVID, but also in the context of COVID actually, because we saw that um, over the first wave of the pandemic, two-week weight referrals for lung cancer dropped significantly, much more actually than some of the other tumour sites. And also sort of ongoing moving into second wave and beyond, there's concern about the sort of clinical overlap of features between COVID, where patients are very much encouraged to sort of stay at home, um, and potential lung cancer symptoms where obviously we, we want to know about that and we want to hear about it and we want to refer them. So lung cancer survival rates really have been unchanged for about the, the last 40 years, which is quite a depressing uh, statistic. And they tend typically to be diagnosed at a late stage, but very much early diagnosis is strongly linked with improved survival. Um, it's sort of recently been shown actually that from going back to maybe thinking about when we're learning about lung cancer as medical students and things, we're always taught to look for hemoptysis, but actually cough and breathlessness are by far the most common presenting symptoms that we'd see in primary care. Um, but also you know, crucial to remember that many patients may actually present with more vague symptoms than that. So the sort of weight loss, fatigue, those, those types of symptoms um, it's also worth always considering at the back of your mind a potential diagnosis of lung cancer in patients who have an unexplained thrombocytosis. And really the message to primary care is having, again, this low threshold uh, for thinking lung cancer and in the first instance for requesting a chest x-ray. However, um, going on talking about chest x-rays in lung cancers, Studies have shown that, that chest x-rays may be missing lung cancers, particularly early lung cancers, in up to 20% of patients, which is quite a concerning uh, characteristic, really. And there was discussion that if sort of chest x-rays were being, for lung cancer, were being presented as a diagnostic test now, they wouldn't pass the sort of threshold. But that's, that's the most common um, you know, test that we have access to in primary care. However, therefore, uh, because of that worry about false negatives, important to remember that in symptomatic and high risk patients, we should be thinking about further investigation, even where that chest X-ray is reported as normal. Some areas, I'm aware, um, do have direct access to CT scanning, which would be the, the next step or consideration. But other areas, um, primary care don't have a direct pathway into requesting CT scans. So what you do for patients in, in this uh, circumstance is look at and use the lung two-week wait referral form. And there's a box on there 
which says normal chest x-ray but clinical suspicion and that's the box to tick for patients where you're concerned that actually they do they are high risk they've got some of either these these vague symptoms or they've got the cough and the breathlessness or several COPD exacerbations and you it's it's ringing those GP gut feeling alarm bells tick that box on the lung fast track form and that's a way of getting them uh, in and CT scanned. Also the other potential uh, referral route in for these types of patients, particularly the ones with the more vague symptoms, is via the new diagnostic service which Jane's going to talk a bit more about um, in terms of the rollout and the referral criteria for that in her presentation in just a moment. Quick bit on lung cancer screening or, or uh, to give it its proper name, the NHS Lung Health Check, um, which has some pilot studies going on around the, the country currently. So they're targeted community checks that are mostly set up in the deprived areas. Um, so we know deprivation is strongly linked with uh, developing lung cancer, but also smoking prevalence. Um, and it, they're set up with mobile scanners, often in sort of supermarket car parks, that sort of scenario. Um, and the pilot's been run using people aged 55 to 75 years of age that are on a GP register and are coded as ever smoked. They have an assessment um, and then if they meet certain criteria are offered a low dose CT scan. And early results, so Manchester was one of the first areas to pilot this, and early results from that Manchester pilot showed that 3% of those screened were identified as having a lung cancer. So sort of tick just falling within that sort of NG12 uh, positive predictive value of 3%. Um, but of those ones that were screened and had a lung cancer, 80% of those crucially were, were caught at stage one and stage two. So to put that into local context, currently there's a programme going on, the NHS Lung Health Check is currently um, running in Southampton. No other areas across Wessex at this point though. So my final message is really on, on lung cancer. Keep that low threshold um, for referral or for further investigations. I wanted to talk briefly about some case finding work that we're doing in Dorset. So um, recognising that often these patients do present late, starting to think, how can we try and pick the patients out early who are at high risk? How can we bring them in earlier? And also in the context of obviously referrals dropping quite a lot for lung cancer over COVID. So currently some case finding work is running in Dorset where primary care are identifying patients who are over 40 and coded as ever smoked and have had a recent raised unexplained platelet count. Um, so those patients are identified through practice searches and then offered a sort of clinical assessment to see if there's any symptoms and a chest x-ray. Um, obviously remembering the caveat about the chest x-rays, uh, the potential 20% false negative of chest x-rays, so, so clinical assessment and onward referral if that patient is needed. Um, another um, work that we did as a pilot and practice may wish to consider doing as a pilot as part of their sort of DES or cancer early detection work is assessing patients at their annual COPD checks for red flags. So there actually is a really helpful um, Arden's templates if your practices use Arden's to look for this. It's called lung cancer screening but um, encouraging 
often the nurses who are doing the annual COPD checks to ask specific questions about is your breathlessness increased, fatigue, weight loss, how many recurrent exacerbations have, have they had of their COPD and that then sort of creates a flag that this patient actually may need, this may well be their COPD but it may mean that they actually need a bit of a workup for potential lung cancer. So that's another sort of pro potential project idea of how to um, try and pick out and identify patients at earlier stages of lung cancer. The other thing I just wanted to talk about as a sort of new local development um, is about the Wessex Cancer Matters website. Um, so this has been developed locally to serve the populations of Dorset, Hampshire and Isle of Wight to offer information um, about the services and support available for people um, diagnosed with cancer or going through a sort of investigative process for cancer. Just going to swap my screen around and show you what the um, website looks like. The links obviously on the slides of how to find it and also crucially um, on the website uh, there is a Wessex wide patient information leaflet um, about two week weight referrals specifically during the time of COVID. So it talks through uh, things like your first appointment might be a telephone and also how the trusts are working to keep patients safe when attending in person um, to do with COVID. So that's a useful resource to use in primary care um, when we're making a, a two week weight referral and want to convey information to the patients about that. So I just, um, bear with me one moment and I will switch my screen sharing around. So this is sort of what the homepage of the website looks like. Cancer Matters Wessex is its name. Um, several different things around there. So obviously coronavirus features quite, um, quite prominently at the moment. But if we come down, um, there's different information here. So worried about cancer. This is the link here to use to, to get that fast track referral leaflet for patients or that could even be sent uh, via Accurex as a, as a web link for patients if we don't actually have them in the room with us at the time. Um, then there's other really, it's designed to be very sort of patient focused, but there's stuff on signs and symptoms of cancer. There's a whole link to information about the screening program as well. Um, and then also uh, the tab about new cancer services. Uh, so there's information here about the Wessex Cancer Surgical Hub. So that's been established particularly um, as part of the response to COVID. Um, so in order to ensure that all patients who, who need time critical cancer surgery during the pandemic, there's a sort of surgical hub where capacity is pulled across Wessex. Uh, so that's, that's more useful to patients further down their journey, but there's some information about that. Um, and there's also information for patients here about the Wepid, uh, Wessex Rapid Diagnostic Service, which Jane's going to pick up. But there's another information leaflet for patients here found in that link. So if you do find a patient that you're going to refer to that service, then this is a really good um, source of information for them. Um, and there's also uh, some on the Living with Cancer Now tab. So there's all information about what patients can expect once they've been diagnosed with cancer, what their follow-up care might be. Um, there's links to 
particular specific um, cancer site follow-up there and then some external links which are sort of very good um, Macmillan cancer support but also some of these information leaflets about breast cancer and colorectal cancer and coming soon to the website um, will be a lot more specific pathway information. Um, so for the different cancer sites, information, almost a step-by-step -step guide for patients as to what that will look like. So you, you will have this test, you will see this clinician, these will be the treatment options. Um, so lung, colorectal and breast will be the first pathways with that information on the website. And I just wanted to also share with you, hopefully, you can see this. I'm just going to show you what that leaflet looks like uh, that I spoke about that we can give to patients. So that again is found via that website and it looks like this. Um, so fast track referrals during the COVID pandemic. Uh, so it says how fast track referrals are happening, when they should expect to hear from the hospital. Talks a bit about virtual appointments and it also um, talks about obviously what to do if they develop COVID symptoms, who can go with them to the appointments. Um, so quite a useful resource that's been written Wessex wide for sharing with patients. So I'm going to um, pause and finish there. Um, I think we're going to do at the end, is that right Camilla? So hand over to Jane now. Yes, um, that, that, that's, that would be great. So we'll hear from Jane. Thank you, Jane. And thank you, Sonia. That was brilliant. Thank you very much. So, yes, if I could have the first slide, that's great. So, yeah, I'm Jane McLeod. Um, I'm GP in New Milton and one of the, the GP leads in uh, for the Wessex Cancer Alliance. Um, so I'm um, going to start off by talking a bit about referral for suspected prostate cancer. Um, and felt it was probably important just to set the scene a little bit. Um, so prostate cancer is the third most common cause of cancer death in the UK after lung and bowel cancer and has the same number of cancer deaths as breast cancer. I've had the next slide please. So there are three main risk factors for prostate cancer. So that's getting older because it's predominantly a disease affecting men over the age of 50, having a family history of prostate cancer or being Afro-Caribbean. And as a GP, I think this is quite a confusing area, especially as urinary symptoms are really quite common in older men and PSA results are confusing um, and they don't always correlate with cancer or mortality. So what does NICE suggest that we do? Well, they tell us that we should be making a fast track referral if the prostate feels malignant on rectal examination, or if the PSA level is above the age specific range, and I'll come on to that shortly. And they also um, suggest that we should consider doing a PSA and a rectal examination on men who have lower urinary tract symptoms or erectile dysfunction or visible hematuria. So if I could have the next slide please. So the current two-week wait referral forms obviously reflect the NICE guidance 
Um, but there does also provide us some quite useful pragmatic advice. So the guidance on the form suggests that before referral, we can consider repeating a PSA after six weeks if the PSA is above the age specific range, but it's less than 10 and the patient doesn't have any risk factors for cancer. It also suggests that we repeat um, the PSA if there's been a recent urinary tract infection uh, or recent instrumentation. And that's because, as we all know, PSA levels can be raised um, during an active urine infection or for six weeks afterwards. Or if the patient has ejaculated or exercised vigorously in the previous 48 hours, or has had a urological intervention in the previous six weeks. So the criteria on the form obviously include referring if the prostate feels abnormal or if the PSA is above the age specific range and this the range is for us. Um, so a PSA is abnormal if it's greater than 2.9 in a man aged 50 to 69 if it's greater than 4.9 in somebody of 70 to 79 and greater than 9.9 in somebody who's over the age of 80. Um, and obviously the other referral criteria is if the repeat PSA has remained um, high as well. Next slide, please. So in keeping with many other two week wait forms, the form asks us to perform certain blood and urine tests prior to referral. But we're obviously all very busy and it is very easy to either forget to do some of these tests on the forms or to forget to include the results. However, as GPs, we do need to be aware that if we don't organise the tests, we may well be inadvertently adding in a delay to our patients' investigations. And this is particularly true for um, the colorectal pathway, as the patient can't have bowel prep if they haven't had recent renal function tests. And it is also absolutely vital that all of the filter tests are completed and results received prior to making a referral to the new rapid diagnostic service, which we'll come on to, to talk about now. So if I could have the next slide, please. So as we've heard, the NHS long-term plan sets an ambition to increase the proportion of cancers diagnosed at stage one and two. And as one of the approaches to delivering this, the cancer alliances have been tasked with establishing rapid diagnostic services to provide faster diagnosis for patients referred with a suspicion of cancer. Next slide, please. So the Wessex Rapid Diagnostic Service provides a new fast track referral pathway for adult patients with symptoms which may be explained by an underlying diagnosis of cancer, but without cancer site specific symptoms. So these are the so-called non-specific or vague symptom patients. And historically, these patients often have had convoluted and delayed pathway to diagnosis, despite having a significant risk of cancer. 
So for instance, a 60-year-old with weight loss has around a 10% risk of cancer. And studies suggest that 11% of men aged 40 or older with newly raised platelets have cancer, as do 6% of women aged 40 or over with raised platelets. But the Wessex Rapid Diagnostic Service is innovative in as much as it's a virtual service. So following a referral by the GP, the patient will have phone or video consultations with a hub clinician. So they're only actually required to attend um, hospital appointments face to face for their diagnostic tests. And the role of the rapid diagnostic service is to provide the patient with single point of contact and to support them through their diagnostic journey. And the RDS will arrange diagnostic tests, review results and formulate management plans with patients with onward referral to local site-specific cancer MDTs if the results are suspicious for cancer. And they will also initiate secondary care referrals if a serious non-cancer diagnosis is found which requires secondary care input. And the patient pathway through the RDS will be completed within 28 days and a comprehensive discharge summary and plan sent to the patient and the GP. Next slide, please. So this is a, a flow chart of how um, the, the RDS works. Um, so the RDS hub is made up of two part-time consultants, two part-time GPs, a clinical nurse specialist, and a care navigator. And the pathway for us as GPs is that we make a referral into RDS using um, the electronic referral system and utilizing uh, a specific referral form. And the referral form is really very similar to other fast track referral forms. Next slide, please. So this is an extract from the form. Um, and it, listen, it lists the referral criteria. So basically, um, this is for any patient aged 18 or over who has either new unexplained weight loss, new persistent unexplained constitutional symptoms, or new unexplained abdominal pain for four weeks or more, or new unexplained or progressive pain. So that might be, for instance, bone pain. Or very importantly, um, that the, the referrer can refer if they have a gut feeling um, that the patient has a cancer. And we've all had those patients where we just feel that there is something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on it and none of the pathways quite fit the symptoms that they have. So this, this is the, the pathway for that patient. Um, and we can also refer um, patients aged 40 or more with a newly raised um, platelet count. Next slide, please. It is very important that the referral form is fully completed. Uh, there are a number of filter tests which are mandatory 
and they must all have been done and the results received before the referral is made. And this is very important and it does differ from the other fast track forms as many of these tests really help to exclude a site-specific cancer. And if as a GP you do make a referral to the service without having completed and received the results of the filter test, the RDS will be returning the form to you so that it can be fully completed and a new referral submitted. And this is because if any of the filter tests, as I say, are positive, the patient will almost certainly need to be referred on a different and site-specific fast-track pathway. And unfortunately, an inappropriate referral to RDS could actually cause a delay to patient investigation, which is not what any of us wants. So the mandatory tests are on the screen there now, and they are all pretty straightforward. Um, so the blood and urine tests should really have been completed ideally um, within the month before the uh, referral and the chest x-ray and fit test within three months. And as Sania has said previously, there is a difference between the fit um, screening threshold and the fit test we uh, order. So a fit screening test, which was negative, would not be an appropriate um, filter test for this pathway. If the glucose or the HbA1c result is newly raised, um, please can you arrange a faecal elastase test at the time that you make the referral. And this relates to research being done locally about, a pancreat about pancreatic cancer. And that can be done just on an ordinary um, stool sample pot. Next slide, please. So the RDS is up and running in some areas, having started in pool in June, and it's gradually being rolled out throughout Wessex. And it should be available to all of us in Wessex by January, uh, if things go according to plan. Next slide, please. So clearly from all that's been said, being aware of cancer as a possible diagnosis when we are seeing or speaking to patients is a challenge, as the symptoms can be very diverse and sometimes non-specific. And I think this is especially difficult at the moment when many of us are doing remote consultations and patients are still possibly a little bit reticent about coming forward. But there are quite a number of resources which can help us as GPs, both to raise our awareness of cancer when we're consulting with patients, but also to check about how we should be making referrals. And I'm just very briefly going to show you a few of these um, some of these I'm sure will be very familiar, uh, but we haven't really got time, unfortunately, to go into them in detail. But really quite a good starting point is on the screen now, and this is the RCGP Primary Care Cancer Toolkit. And you don't have to be an RCGP member to access it. And the toolkit groups together quite a number of resources, making it easy to access a whole number of things. Next slide, please. 
The NICE NG12 guidance itself includes recommendations on the symptoms and signs that warrant investigation and referral for suspected cancer and is itself quite a useful reference and is on the screen at the moment. Uh, next slide please. As this is quite complicated there are a number of other resources summarising the same thing. So the CRUK infographic which is on the screen now displays the same information visually enabling quick identification of what needs to be done. So for instance if I arrange a CA125 which comes back raised I can quickly check on here what the next step would be um, which would be to arrange an ultrasound. Next slide please. So the CRUK interactive desk easel does a very similar thing but in a, a different more narrative way and an example of one of the pages is on the screen now. And this can be put on a desktop computer um, so that you can easily um, access it. Next slide, please. The Gateway C is a very useful free educational resource, which will be familiar to many of us. And it provides a number of online learning modules and access to webinars. And additionally, the website provides access to cancer maps. So if you're someone who likes mind maps, you'll find cancer maps useful. And the front page is on the screen now. And essentially, the maps enable you to add your patient's symptoms. And the maps then show up the nice referral pathways that contain those symptoms. And that can be quite useful. So for instance, if you can't quite remember which pathways mentioned thrombocytosis, if you tick that as a, a symptom, um, it will then highlight which pathways um, that might be applicable to. Macmillan also has plenty of useful educational resources as well. So in conclusion, Obviously, recognition of cancer can be complex. In Wessex, we are doing really well about getting our cancer referrals back on track to pre-COVID levels, but there's always more that we can do to try to improve our referrals and outcomes for our patients. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Jay, and that was a really well-received presentation. And I wonder if Sania would put your video, your video and sound on as well, and then we can answer some of the, the questions. I mean, a, a big thing that's hit me, Sania, it was in your initial slide, you said that if we increase the diagnosis to an earlier stage, we're going to increase the five-year survival of 55,000 people, and that is equivalent to the amount of deaths we've had with COVID. So sort of equating the two sort of shows you how big an impact that we can actually have. And um, an interesting thing that Jane said was that prostate cancer is the third cause of um, cancer mortality. And I'd always in the back of my mind had you sort of die with it rather than of it. So that sort of reiterates the importance of um, picking that up early as well. Um, the, um, 
I think there are a, a few questions that have, that have come in. With regards to the fit test, Sania, with, um, so I assume it's a one-off test um, and we never need to do more than one. If someone has got hemorrhoids or bleeding piles or know they've got PR blood, is there any point in doing it? So, so obviously it looks for the presence of, of, of occult hemoglobin. So if someone's got frank bleeding, then no, it, it, it's not recommended in the guidelines. I suppose my caveat with that would be, um, obviously, um, keep an open mind as to the cause of that rectal bleeding. It is perfectly possible for someone to have hemorrhoids and bowel cancer. There may sometimes be patients that you are suspicious about that you would like to do a fit test in, but they have told you about rectal bleeding. Um, and this hasn't been picked up in the NICE guidance yet, but pragmatically what some areas are doing um, is if, if they're wanting to do a fit test because they're suspicious for other reasons, they're asking patients to do it when they're not when they don't have an active bleeding at the moment. So some, some areas are incorporating that, but by the letter of the NICE guidance at the moment, it's not really intended for patients where there's a history of frank bleeding because it's designed to look for occult bleeding. Um, but just keep, a, keep an open mind as to the cause of their, um, of their PR bleeding. And going on from that, if we're referring to the rapid access um, diagnostic service, if they've got frank bleeding, do we still need to then fulfil the fit test in order to get them into that service? Or is it enough just saying that they've got frank PR blood? I would have personally thought that actually if they have, um, you know, rectum or frank PR blood and they've got some other symptom that you're worried about, otherwise you wouldn't be thinking about the RDS, then actually the right route is colorectal. Okay, thank you. Um, and, and equally with the faecal lactase, that's something that I've not really got on my radar. Is that something that has to have been done before the, um, you accept or is that an accessory auxiliary test that is for the prostate cancer study, uh, the pancreatic cancer? Yeah, so, so basically, um, no, you don't have had to have had the faecal elastase result back, um, you know, before making the referral. You do it at the point of referral. Um, as I say, it's, it's to do with research that the pancreatic um, people are looking at. Thank you. Um, there is a question from Mark Edwards. What is the sensitivity and specificity for detecting cancer in cough or breathlessness in ever-smoked patients? So, good question. And I don't have the figure exactly to hand, but... The, um, where we might, there's two things I wanted to reference in regard to that. So um, there's, there are the, uh, the RAT assessment tools that were produced by Willie Hamilton. Um, they are actually a bit, um, a lot of the data used to pull those together is quite old now. They were produced originally around 2005, um, but you can follow those down and look at different symptom combinations and give you the risk or the positive predictive value of cancer. Um, the, the bit I was alluding to in my talk actually came from a BJGP article this year, which was 2020, showing that the change over time, particularly over the last 10 years, where haemoptysis is a much less common presenting uh, 
complaint of, of lung cancer in, in primary care and instead what has risen over those last 10 years is that cough and breath, breathlessness are much more common presenting um, complaints in primary care that then lead to a lung cancer diagnosis. So those, those two bits of information together might answer that. Thank you. Um, we've got another question about PSA. Um, someone says that they don't perform PSA testing unless asked for by the patient. Is that outdated? And also they um, have thought that doing primary cancer marker screening is not appropriate unless significantly high clinical suspicion, i.e. referring to CA125 and PSA. So um, to take the, the first point, um, I would agree that obviously PSA screening for all the things I kind of alluded to and we we're all aware of, PSA is not at all um, a perfect screening test. And actually doing a bit of um, reading around this prior to this talk, um, I actually had a look at uh, some of the, the information out there about this. and. So 15% of men with a normal PSA actually have cancer and 75% of men with a raised PSA don't have cancer. So um, I think it, it's not something that um, it works as a screening test. However, if a patient of 50 or more talks to you as a GP and says, um, you know, should I be having a PSA test done? then I think you want to explore with them why they, they're worried about it. Um, I think it's worth um, bearing in mind their ethnicity because um, people from Afro-Caribbean backgrounds actually have um, twice the risk of prostate cancer. Also, people with uh, family history, as I said earlier, um, are at greater risk. Um, there is a very good leaflet that's produced by PHE, which actually helps patients to look at the pros and cons of having a test. And I think I would personally encourage a patient to read that very carefully and think about the positive and negative aspects of, of having the test, basically. Um, yeah, Thank sorry, you. what was the other bit? There was another. Um, was about the tumour markers and when the it... The tumour markers, okay. So, so I think um, that the uh, scenario that we're talking about is your patient who has some other features that you are worried about. So it might be that they have weight loss or as we've said, fatigue or pain. Um, so that's not really the same as um, a screening test when you're dealing with somebody who is asymptomatic. So what you are trying to do in this cohort of patients is really hone down to see um, whether and what type of cancer a patient may have. Absolutely accept, as I've just said, that PSA and CA125, depending on the situation, are not perfect tests, but they may give you a little bit of a, a clue as to you know what you should be doing. So if you do your PSA and it's 20 and they haven't got an infection, um, actually, you know, that may be relevant for the patient, but it has to be taken in the whole context of that patient. Thank you. Someone asked if rapid diagnostic units are in um, Wiltshire. Do they, the Wessex um, service, does that cover Wiltshire? Um, so, uh, unfortunately, 
not. Um, so, the, uh, as I said at the beginning, the, the Wessex Cancer Alliance geography um, is, is Dorset, Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, uh, which I know is slightly different to the Wessex LMC geography. E but what I will say about rapid diagnostic centres or services is each cancer alliance was tasked with setting up a service such as this. So you've heard today about the Wessex model. Um, Wiltshire is part of SWAG Cancer Alliance and they should be setting up uh, a service, their own specification, but a service for this cohort of patients. Brilliant, thank you. And I've got one question related to, I think it's wonderful all the work that you're doing in the early pickup. My concern as a GP locally is I repeatedly have people that have, I refer for the two week wait colorectal service, they quickly get their colonoscopy um, but then they um, have been cleared, for, haven't, haven't identified any cancer or polyps, but they've got inflammation identified. And I had a poor man ringing me yesterday beside himself, couldn't get any answers from secondary care, having had investigations five weeks prior to that, having had a CT scan, an MRI scan, an endoscopy with biopsies, with a history of bowel cancer twice in the past and the last operation 10 years ago, and he was beside himself because he couldn't get any results for his tests. So I don't know if you are involved in that or if you can give a little nudge to secondary care to try and report back much more quickly because obviously it's got a significant burden of worry on patients' minds. Absolutely. And um, I, yeah, I agree. I can think of several similar circumstances. There is a move um, nationally, so, so trusts are judged on sort of constitutional cancer standards, so two-week wait has always been one, so when we refer they've got to see patients within two weeks. Actually it's sort of been recognised that that's all well and good, but for the poor patient, if they're then waiting six weeks to hear the results of their test, mm -hmm. that's really tricky and awful. So there's sort of been a, a new target introduced for trusts, which is called the 28-day faster diagnostic standard. Um, and that um, is that trusts will be judged that from when we refer, that's day one, within 28 days, the patient has to be informed yes or no of a cancer diagnosis. So that is in the process of being rolled out um, and trusts, I think from next year, will have to try to meet that standard, which hopefully might help with some of that agonizing waiting for patients. But I absolutely agree, that can be really difficult. Brilliant, thank you. And I think it's also when there is an underlying symptomatic condition that yes, they ruled out cancer, but they need to get to the bottom of a potential other condition causing the, the symptoms. But mm -hmm. I've got to round up now. I think that was a really good overview. There's been some questions about links to the websites and the cancer mats, and um, I'm sure that we can put those again under the videos on the Wessex LMC education page, which was where you can find this if you want to look look at it again um so thank you very much i think my take-home message is to really you know think about raised platelets think about um symptomatology and a low threshold for referring to the lung cancer two-week wake pathway even if there isn't a um finding on the chest x-ray i think there's some great links to the um websites that are doing some good leaflets for patients and i would certainly put those on my toolbar so that i've got them at my fingertips to inform patients of, of what the services are and some support around it. And the FIT test is a great 
sort of advancement for um, ease of doing a one test rather than numerous tests. And I know that there has been some confusion about these, but it is, as you rightly say, a different testing kit that should be in surgeries in a white paper envelope with all the information in it. So if everyone can look out for the fit tests that, um, and use those appropriately, rather than, I don't know if you do an FOB test, does it get bounced now? I don't know what happens with that. I have a feeling it's been removed from ice actually. I may be wrong. Has it? So, probably it's, wrong. So, so it's just obsolete now. So no more FOBs, it's just fit tests in Wessex is the main message. So thank you. So I think that rounds up our half day webinar. I hope everyone's found that interesting.